Hello, I'm Terry. And I'm Laurie. And we're taking the approximately 40 minutes journey by rail on the Marston Vale line from Bedford to Bletchley. Hello, can I get a return to Bletchley, please? We'll be alighting at some of the stations too, learning about the local green sand landscape, history and characters along the way. This is On Track in Green Sand Country. But what is Greensand Country? Greensand Country is a beautiful and loved landscape. It is defined by the Greensand Ridge, a band of higher ground stretching from Leighton Buzzard to Gamlingay, which rises out of the surrounding vales to create a locally unique environment. The area contains all of Bedfordshire's remaining heathland, more than half of its woodland and 29 historic parklands. It is landscape rich in wildlife and cultural heritage, with its own special qualities and sense of place. We start at Bedford Station, originally built by the Midland Railway in 1859. Bernadette Lee is the station manager. So through Bedford we've got the beautiful river down in Bedford and we've also got really beautiful parks. The Bedford Town Centre, it's very nice and you've got the museum, the, the Higgins Museum. This is a thriving community rail line managed by the Marston Vale Community Rail Partnership, one of a growing number of community rail partnerships across the country. They work to engage communities and help people get the most from their railways, promoting social inclusion and sustainable travel. And 2021 is a big anniversary for this stretch of track. The Marston Vale line started as the Oxford to Cambridge line 175 years ago in 1846. The Beeching Report of 1963 closed most of the original line down, but this section we're riding on was retained after public protest. We're going to pass through Bedford St John's, Kempston Hardwick, the picturesque village of Stewartby, and then we're here at Millbrook. Station is Millbrook. We're going to alight here to learn more about the station and the area. First opened as Marston Station in 1846, Millbrook Station has transformed in the last 175 years. Dave Thomas now lives in the station house building. I've been here since 1985. So, so you've yes. seen some changes? I've seen some changes, yeah. So we're standing in what is a really very nice garden now, but it wasn't always that, was it? Uh, no, in fact, this was quite a busy working um, railway yard at one time. Um, it started up and was serving brick traffic before the construction of Stuartby, because uh, there were always um, brickworks around here because of the clay. Behind uh, you there, uh, there is a building which you can see we put the sign goods office on it. Um, it was originally a goods office. It's a London Northwestern Railway building and there were five clerks that worked here. So there was obviously quite a bit of uh, work required, mostly running um, brick trains, but there was also a lot of uh, cattle movements and such. Uh, lots of things went by train in those days. From Millbrook Station, I'm off up the hill to the main village where I'm going to meet someone who's gonna tell me a little bit about the history of the place. Hello. Hi, Mariella. 
Mariella Cook is working with the Oral History Project that has been set up by Green Sand Country Landscape Partnership. As part of her research, she has discovered a book all about Millbrook Village by local historian Elizabeth Roberts. In the early 1800s, there was a plat school run by the parish clerk who lived in the cottage by the church gate. And the small girls used to climb onto the roof of the church porch, then onto the roof of the south aisle, where they plaited ropes from straw and were not allowed down until their plat reached the ground. <laughs> and that was considered a day's work. And as they worked, they recited, over one, under two, pull it tight and that will do. So most learnt to plat from the age of three or four years old. Um, the 1861 census tells us that 42 women ages 7 to 50 were employed as straw platters. Galloping Dick, an interesting name for a local historical character. But could you tell us a little bit more about him, so please? Several ghosts have been sighted in the village. One's an invisible horseman known as Galloping Dick. Richard Galloping Dick Ferguson died in 1800 after a life as a highwayman who raided the London area but now a local legend has it that he haunts Millbrook. So he was renowned for robbing stagecoaches which travelled along the Woburn Road. We're told he was a wretched figure who, because of his outlaw ways, lived by the sandpit in Millbrook Hill. The ghost of Dick's been attributed to eerie events, including the sound of the steed's hooves down Sound Hill Close. Dick is also said to haunt Station Road in the form of a headless horseman. Also a short walk from Millbrook Station, you'll find the Millennium Country Park and the Forest of Marston Vale. From here, there are many walks, including a fantastic seven-mile loop which takes you along the Green Sand Ridge and into Ant Hill. Stephen Coleman is the Historic Environment Information Officer for Central Bedfordshire Council and has joined us on the journey. Stephen, here at Millbrook, what is the history of the, the proving ground? I know that the test track is so close to where we are here. The test track, or proving ground as they now call it, was is originally constructed for Vauxhall Motors. They were going to test their Vauxhall cars and Bedford trucks and buses and military vehicles. They previously had a site down at Chawl End, nearer Luton where they were based of course. Um, Chawl End just in Caddington Parish, but uh, that would obviously run its course. So back in April 1968, they began groundworks at the Millbrook site, which is a huge 700-acre site occupying most of the land between Millbrook and Lidlington stations on the, on the eastern side. So 700-acre site, and they can, by the end of 1969 or 1970, they um, constructed about a dozen facilities there. And there was also a 13.5-mile um, quantity of multi-terrain roads and tracks. Brian Kerr is a soil scientist who has written three books about the Bedfordshire landscape. He has also joined us on the train today. OK, we're just approaching Lidlington Station. At this point we can see the Green Sand Ridge over uh, to the left of the train. Uh, that's the point at which we can suddenly understand the contrast between this flat clay plain and the upstanding sandstone, which is formed on the, or by this Jurassic outcrop that runs northeast-southwest. It forms such a feature of Bedfordshire. The next station is Lidlington. Lidlington is a station that opened with the line 175 years ago in 1846. Esme Barnes has lived in Lidlington since 1945. 
Tell us a little bit about uh, how the village has changed since you can since your early memories of it. <laughs> well, it's nothing like it was. I mean, we had three um, general stores. We had a post office, a baker's, a chap that did bicycles and that sort of thing. Three churches, two milkmen and the butchers. He had a nice little house, um, half-timbered house with a thatched roof and with a field out the back that he used to keep the animals in that he was going to use for butchering. And, and yet now there, there, are, there are a couple of shops in the village but no, nowhere near as many services available no, in Lillington. No. Oh, well, and don't forget the three pubs. It's whatever you do, don't forget the three pubs. <laughs> and can you remember the, the names of the three pubs? The Red Lion, the Royal Oak and the Green Man. Norman Peachy also has memories about the station. Oh, yeah, I say oh, I watched the trains and they, when they used to have the old gates here at night, they used to shut at midnight till six in the morning. If you wanted to come over with a vehicle, you had to ring the keepers at, there to, for them to come open the gates and wait for them. An old, old chap called Billy Evans, who used to be one of the gatekeepers, if you, he went very fast, and if he kept you waiting, you pipped your horn, he made you wait even longer. <laughs> and I'm going back years now, but he was a, quite a comical chap. We had some ones, so there was three of them in this village. There was the art, um, art Billy Evans, and I'm sure them people were family. But um, it was quite funny. Tess Mason is the secretary of the Friends of Lidlington Station and is explaining to me the role of the group. OK, so what we try and do is look after our local station. Um, that means picking up rubbish, it means reporting any faults or vandalism that we see, it means looking after the tubs and troughs, uh, maintaining the land behind the platforms to keep it looking tidy and to encourage wildlife and generally to kind of keep the environment of the station looking friendly and attractive and we hope to um, attract more people to use the train and to feel positively about using public transport. And ultimately it's it's a lovely rural setting. Where, where would you recommend a walk if I was to go on a uh, an hour or so walk around here, where would I go? OK, so you could walk straight from the station. There are footpaths that actually get follow parallel to the railway line. So walking from Lidlington towards Ridgemont Station, you can walk along the footpaths and then turn left up so that you're walking up on the Green Sand Ridge. You get marvellous views, not just of Lidlington, but you can see right to Bedford and beyond. Really fabulous views for the moment. I love a good walk, so I've followed Tess's directions and gone to meet someone for a dog walk and a chat about the Greensand Country Landscape Partnership. <laughs> it's not for eating. It's not for eating. <laughs> she's in season, so she's uh, looking out for any young man that, that might take their fancy. Terry, oh, I'm I Caroline see. Maudlin, and, um, and I'm actually a it, Central Beds Councillor uh, for Sandy and Blunham Ward. Part of our uh, job as being a councillor is getting involved in local organisations as well. I'm the representative on the Greensand Country Landscape Partnership and uh, a year ago was made co-chairman with Ali Bradbury, just as you get tied up with the dogs running around here. <laughs> and here we are, standing right on top of the ridge, um, come up from Lidlington Station and from here... Um, 
you'll see as we walk further along there's an actual plaque that you can identify what we're looking at but we can see right across here to Cranfield we've got uh, Bedford over there to the right uh, all the new industrial area they're building uh, but you can even see the network of footpaths as you look across um, which is which is great Caroline has spotted some fellow walkers enjoying the views across the beautiful green sand country landscape. And improve them. And I saw you just heading from over there. Have you done a big circular walk or do you live near here? No, we live in One of these locals is even a regular Marston Vale line user. I've been going on that since I was about 11 years old. Since you were 11, you've been yeah, on well, that? Well, it used to be the steam trains then. Wow. And your dad used to drive. Your dad used to be yeah. a. Yeah. Well, did, you? did he really? Yeah. yeah. That was when it was um, Bedford to Cambridge. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much. Lovely to meet you all. Cheers. The view from there, you can see all sorts. The village, the lake, far and wide. Yeah, right over to Olney almost. Yeah. The Greensand Country Landscape Partnership is where Greensand Country began. In January 2013, a National Lottery Heritage-funded programme was established, which delivered more than 40 projects. This has helped to raise awareness of the heritage value of the landscape, and to reverse the gradual decline in the distinct landscape character of this beautiful and loved place. There's lots more about the Greensand Country Landscape Partnership and the work they do online. Click greensandcountry.com Andy Dishman is a regular guard on the train. He tells us that on the Marston Vale line, the staff are always looking out for the passengers. Somebody's um, running for a train, we'll often wait. What, what can happen uh, on this line is, because there's so many level crossings, somebody might get trapped at the wrong side of the level crossing, and they're worried uh, that the train is going to depart because the batteries haven't come up. So uh, but we'll always wait, you know, if we see somebody running. The station you know. is Ridgemont. Ridgemont Station is also a vintage tea room and a heritage centre where you can learn more about the history of the line. I'm popping in for tea and a chat with Stephen Slight, the Marstonvale Community Rail Partnership Officer, to ask what his job's all about. The role of the Community Rail Partnership is to help people get uh, the most from their local railway and use all the opportunities it offers and also if they would like to, to get involved in uh, volunteering at stations or to assist the general work of the Community Rail Partnership. And what's the normal day-to-day -day service? If someone turns up at either Bletchley Station or Bedford Station, um, what sort of train service can they expect along the Marston Vale line? Usually there's 16 to 17 trains a day, Monday to Saturday, uh, and they run broadly between 6am uh, and 10pm, roughly every hour. The line even runs train services on bank holidays. You can find out more about the Community Rail Partnership, local attractions and Ridgemont's vintage tea room opening times by clicking marstonvalecommunityrail.org.uk The highlight of the Heritage Centre at Ridgemont is the old ticket office. Oh, this really is like going back in time. So talk me through it, uh, Stephen. What, what, what can we see here? It's amazing, isn't it? So this is the original, as I said, Victorian um, booking office. So the bit we're standing in now is as far as the public would have got. Um, they would have waited in this side of the booking office by the fire that's just in the corner there um, to queue and buy their tickets for 
journeys local and journeys further afield to Oxford and Cambridge and other destinations too. So it would have been quite a busy little um, bit part of the building this. And then on the other side, just going round through here. Coming through this door, you can see all the uh, maps of the points and the gates. And there's some, I noticed even over there, there's some documentation which says London Midland Railway on it, I think. Let's have a quick look. Did I read that correctly? Yes, London Midland and Scottish Railway Company, carriage of goods notice. Yes. Uh, so that must be 70 years old at, at least. In, indeed, and we used to have a lot of um, freight uh, travelling on this line. So as you can see from um, some of the items in front of you, there's a timeline there of some of the station masters. That was only some of the people that would have worked here. There would have been three or four people working here. There would have been sidings on both sides of the line. And we've actually got individual records of uh, livestock, including cattle and sheep being unloaded here um, to go off to market. So it's a real busy, active station in terms of both passengers and freight as well. Whilst Laurie is in the station, I've gone to find Suzanne Scott so we can stretch our legs. She volunteers at the Heritage Centre and her great-grandfather was the station master in the 1930s. Suzanne, uh, you, you know Ridgemont Station well from your, your volunteering and from your history with the station, your family history. Uh, where can we walk from the station? Um, so there are two walks. There's one called the Walk on the Wild Side um, and there's also one called the Three Hills which essentially goes up um, Brugborough Way and goes through the old brickwork, ends up at the old brickworks and has some beautiful views along the ridge uh, on the, up at the green sand end. They're both about five, six mile walks, something like that, so they take you about two, two and a half hours, so they're nice morning or afternoon walks. Suzanne, I quite like the idea of, of walking uh, towards Bletchley and, and Husband Crawley in particular, so that's the walk on the wild side, you say, going under the, the motorway in that direction. So uh, would you lead the way and show us the way? Yes, surely. One of the attractions of Walk on the Wild Side is that, after a short walk, you can actually see some of the animals at Woburn Safari Park. But on the way back to Ridgemont, your eyes and ears need to be on high alert. So the sign says, stop, look, listen, beware of trains. You have to be very careful here. It's quite a nice view back to the station house. This is, this is where you can walk across the track, but you have to do so without even the level crossing beefers warning you of any trains coming. Yes, it's definitely a stop, look, listen, look again, make sure and then cross. Waiting for Terry on the platform is Stephen Coleman from Central Bedfordshire Council. Of course, also near Ridgemont, there was uh, the Woburn Experimental Fruit Farm, which in itself sounds like an intriguing prospect. I want to know which bits uh, were the experimental bits. Well, it's hard to believe that it was where it was now, because in fact it's now got the M1 running through the middle of it and the rebuilt A507 running right through the middle of it. But the Experimental Fruit Farm was actually begun in June uh, 1894 by Spencer Pickering on 20 acres provided by uh, the Duke of Bedford, the 11th Duke of Bedford, who also provided the money for it. And according to the Duke of Bedford, the object of the institution was to provide an establishment where any matters connected with the fruit growing, whether of practical or of purely scientific interest, may be investigated in a rigorously scientific manner. Um, But unfortunately, the experimental nature of the farm ended with Pickering's death in 1920, and then it became a commercial enterprise. 
and in fact it was actually the first experimental farm in the world for fruit trees. Having fueled up on cake and coffee, it's time to leave Ridgemont Station behind. Still with us on the train today is soil scientist and author Brian Kerr. We've just reached what we think is about the highest point on the line and I'm looking out and I can see Ridgemont Spire over there uh, on the other side of the line. This is a higher point on the, ra- on the rail link between the Ouse Valley and the Oozel. And at some point there was many, many people tried to have an interest in linking these two with a waterway which would allow pleasure boats boats to move between these two waterway systems. From Bedford, obviously pleasure craft craft can go all the way down to the Wash and Kings Lynn. And from the Bletchley end, they can join up with the Grand Union Canal, which takes you into the whole of the Midlands waterway system. So from a canal boat or, or a leisure boat industry point of view, linking those two systems would be a fantastic boom. Aspley Guys Station was first opened in 1905. The next station is Aspley Guys. A short walk from the station, I'm off to Aspley Guys and Woburn Golf Club. Rod Kuchik is a member and has been tasked with monitoring the club's wildlife. Part of the course is quite high, so it's a big open sky when you're at the top of the course. Early mornings, late evenings, late autumn and in in the spring you see skeins of geese coming in from further north, migrating and then then going back in in the spring back to the Arctic to, to breed. Charms of goldfinches which are delightful little birds. Lots and lots of um, long-tailed tits, which just sound like little tinkling bells. <laughs> Very pretty. You know, it's 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 something I enjoy, just great great deal of pleasure from. And a lot of other members are saying, well, yes, you know, they're sort of agreeing. And with people like Greta Thunberg, without sort of preaching too much, they're just highlighting the problems and and, def- and the deficiencies that uh, humans are creating at the expense of everything else and we really need to live together to enjoy our countryside and the green sand ridge is really quite unique because the sand starts up in the uh, in the wash narrows as it gets just south of sort of the bottom of the green sand ridge which is in Leighton Buzzard which is where I live then it dives underground and then comes up again in, and spreads out in the Dorset Heaths. There is a rumour that, not far from this station, Hitler's deputy, Rudolf Hess, spent some time in Aspley guise in a building known as the Rookery, assisting the Allies with creating propaganda messages during World War II. We'd call it fake news today, but then it would have been powerful... Propaganda. Kelvin Horton is a local history enthusiast and has previously delivered local history tours from the train to passengers. Rudolf Hess at Apsi guys pretending to be in Germany, telling the German people that all was well and that we, they were winning. During World War II, many people working at the Government Code and Cipher School, based at Bletchley Park, lived in Aspley guys and other surrounding villages in Greensand country. 
Bletchley Park Museum is located just a stone's throw away from Bletchley, our final stop on this journey. Woburn Sands opened with the line in 1846 and is another with its building in the half-timbered Gothic revival style. Waiting for me on the platform here is Paul Cox. He calls himself the unofficial historian for Woburn Sands. Hi Paul, thanks for meeting me. Uh, it's a bit blowy, shall we go uh, in this shelter here? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Paul, how long ago was Woburn Sands known as Hogsty End? and? What's the story behind that name and the change? Well, originally, um, Hogstye End is one of the many ends of Wavingdon Village, uh, Church End, Lower End, and Hogstye End, which we presume is probably where the, the farmyard was where they kept the pigs. But the hill going up over towards Woburn was um, a main toll road, the first transport links with the area of the toll road, and that sandy area used to bog down the coaches. And it became a thing that, that uh, London travellers would say, oh, I've been bogged down in the, in the sands at, at Woburn. And so the area gradually became the sands at Woburn. And then locally they were looking for a slightly more pleasant name than Hogstye End. So it wasn't an overnight, one day it was the old name, one day it was the new name. It was a very gradual change. And Woburn Sands was adopted rather than Hogstye End. But when they opened the station here at Woburn Sands, it was called Woburn Station because the Duke wanted somewhere for his visitors to get off at that they'd recognised to come to the Abbey. And so it was originally named Woburn Station. I noticed there is just within, just within sight of where we're standing now um, a pub that looks like it's, it's open. Uh, is that a pub that's been around for a while? It was opened after the railway came. Um, a, a local speculator... Um, who owned the local sawmills um, decided to build it and it's it's been the station tavern and or hotel ever since fantastic do you think we can maybe venture over there and, and see if we can get a quick drink inside i think that's a wonderful idea kevin brewer is the landlord of the station tavern pub in woburn sands business has changed just as this place has changed dramatically as paul will know I mean, it's a very different pub to what it was 36 years ago when I rolled up and took over. Um, and it was called a station hotel in those days. Um, and it was, I took it as a tenancy uh, um, in with Watney Mans. I love Wobben Sands. Wobben Sands is you know, a very nice place to live. Um, and that's why a lot of people want to come to this. You know, it could be for a walk. We get a lot of train spotters. Mm for various reasons. Whilst I'm here, I'm also meeting Robin Ping, who has memories of regularly using the train line in the 1960s and 70s. You remember, I believe, the um, 150th anniversary of the line, which is now you know, celebrating 175 years now. That's right. When, when uh, the, the celebrations, we, uh, myself, my father, and uh, two boys caught the train into Bedford and caught the steam engine from Bedford to Bletchley and then again back from Bletchley to Bedford and then we came home on the diesel again. 
Uh, I think it, if I remember rightly, was pulled by uh, what they called a 4MT standard tank with uh, Mark 1 carriages on behind, if I remember rightly. So was was that a special, I guess, special trains to mark that oh, anniversary? Yeah, right. It was. It was specially laid on to mark the 150th anniversary of the line. The next station is Bow Brickhill. Bow Brickhill station opened in 1905. The station here is close to Coldcott Lake. A beautiful walk in itself. But walk in the other direction and you might stumble upon Danesborough Fort. I'm off to meet a local historian who can show me more. Hello. Hello. You found them. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> it is a lovely day. You're not frightened of heights, are you? <laughs> no, so, no, no, I'm Mary no, Preen, and I've lived in the village of Bow Brickhill for 40 years. Always intended to go back to Yorkshire, but this place gets under your skin. So, in, we're, we're still here. And I'm current chair of the Bow Brickhill History Society. So, why don't we take a walk along the edge of the escarpment, one of the steepest bits from Leighton Buzzard to Gambling Gate, this is one of the st steepest sections. And I'll show you Danesborough, it's known locally as Danesborough Fort, which has nothing to do with, with the Danes at all. It predates them by a country mile. And we can have a look at the earthworks that our, our ancestors made without diggers. Do you think that's a plan? Yeah, lovely. Brilliant. Thank you. So... Can I nudge you up that bank? Yes. Yeah, lead the way. Uh, I'd love you to be able to see what can be done with a, a pick and shovel. <laughs> oh, yes. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. So, the natural, the natural lie of the land is a steep hill. Yeah. But this is not. This has been dug out and mounded up. The ground has been manipulated, presumably as a form of protection. Heading towards the door. <laughs> Which had what they call a causeway running to it. So there, you, you'll notice when we get to this, back to the Bow Brick Hill side of Danesborough, that there aren't the same heights or... Um, any, any form of fortification in the same way. So, so did they have guards that they put here? Or mm. did they have a big gate that they shut at night? It's yeah, something that's hard to know. It would be wonderful <laughs> just to nip back 2,000 years, just for a few minutes, and have a look. Excavations here found evidence in the form of what looks like old plates from 2,000 years yep. ago. And the archaeology that they did was in here and in there um, and they think that they would probably have been the rubbish dump oh hence the bits of broken stuff yeah 
because because it wouldn't the, be the stuff that you would chuck out. This yeah. history is both fascinating and humbling. Back on the train, we're nearing the end of our journey. We pass through Fenny Stratford Station and arrive at our final stop. Bletchley opened in 1836 and is now a busy major station. The next station is Bletchley. From Platform 6, I'm heading over to the ticket office to speak with Linda. She's worked at the station for nine years. From Bletchley, people that are travelling to Bletchley, where else could they travel to from here? They're going into London, they go into Euston, and also we go to Birmingham, so it's quite a network to the north. Um, the Southern also stops here, which will take you down south to Clapham Junction, where you can change to go to places like Brighton. Whatever the future has in store for this line, it is fair to say we have learnt a lot on our journey. With so much history, a real sense of community and fantastic walking routes all around, you could probably learn a lot too. Why not hop on the train to explore green sand country for yourself? This has been On Track in Green Sand Country, a journey by rail on the Marston Vale line. My thoughts are with those who've gone before while walking the green sand ridge, while walking the green sand ridge. Presented by Terry Lee and Laurie Hallett. A huge thank you to all the contributors to the programme. The music is by Geraldine Pearson Green. The track is called Green Sand Ridge Walk. Special thanks to Sally Christopher and Stephen Slight. On Track in Green Sand Country was funded by the Green Sand Country Landscape Partnership and the Marston Vale Community Rail Partnership. Go to greensandcountry.com and marstonvalecommunityrail.org.uk for more information. This audio was produced by Terry Lee with support from Radiolab 97.1 FM and the University of Bedfordshire. Thoughts are with those who've gone before while walking the green sand ridge, strolling towards the park of kings, contemplating ancient things. My thoughts are with those who've gone before, who've trod this path and fought their wars, of wives and queens who wronged and harmed. Of men have preached and ruled and farmed My thoughts are with those who've gone before While walking the green sand ridge While walking the green sand ridge Gazing over Capabilities Hill While hunting monarchs had their thrills Past the cross that marks the place out of the valley that shadows lays On towards the wicked gate Past the grey slough stained narrow and straight My thoughts are with those who've gone before While walking the green sand ridge Christian's walk is echoed here House beautiful
beautiful sun's bright and clear My thoughts are with those who've gone before I'll walk in the green sand range Once a royal prison hold Poor sad Catherine, dark and cold Her New Year's babe worshipped with great pride But history changed when the Prince Lynn died a lost and lonely abandoned bride He took another to be at his side My thoughts are with those who've gone before While walking the green sand ridge castle souls are gone Memories left that linger on My thoughts are with those who've gone before While walking the green sand ridge while walking the green sand ridge